Hello and welcome to Neurodiverse Noise. I'm here with Corey today. Say hello. Hello. Would you like to tell us anything about yourself? Sure. Um, I'm a late diagnosed, uh, self-diagnosed first though with ADHD and oh boy, um, three years ago, two years ago, a couple of years ago. Um, and that just started after I was looking for resources to better support my autistic daughter as she was growing older. And um, as I was looking at things about executive functioning and realizing that I already did a lot of the stuff for myself, it just started, you know, gears started turning. Um, I've always identified with what's called a highly sensitive person. And I've also come to understand that a lot of people who identify this way really have some sort of neurodivergence going on. It's either SPD, could be ADHD, it could be autism, it could be something along those lines. So I started taking all of those self-assessments and found out that I was almost textbook for ADHD inattentive. <laughs> so it's like, all right. Um, I chose to pursue a formal diagnosis just in case I ever needed to go on some kind of medication because um, I've always been a firm believer in that. It, it, it's not a weakness. It's not a deficiency. Do what you need to do to take care of yourself. Um, and when I went in for my ADHD evaluation, the evaluator recommended that I also consider getting tested for autism level one. It's like, oh. Okay. Um, so that's my journey into all of this. That's a really interesting journey. I find a lot of people have interesting journeys that get diagnosed later in life or self-diagnosed like later in life. You have like a completely unique experience compared to someone who grew up with their diagnosis and their diagnosis grew with them. Um, yeah. You, yeah. You said you're a parent. How old is your, your daughter? My autistic daughter is 21. Um, and she had, she's one of the, she was diagnosed, oh gosh, shortly before her third birthday. So it was quite some time ago. And, you know, way back then, um, there were not a lot of resources out there for girls on the autism spectrum. And she's what would have then have been considered classic aut autism. And I think it's now autism level three. Um, so it was kind of frustrating, more than kind of frustrating. It was really frustrating because I had no idea as to what to do. Um, but then, you know, it just, it occurs to me, it's like, well, she's still my daughter, regardless of whatever diagnosis that she has. And so we started the whole, uh, early childhood preschool special education stuff. And I started picking brains of her therapists, her teacher, almost just about anybody who would listen to me and started figuring out, you know, it wasn't so much that, okay, she's getting supported at school. Great. That's because they're trained professionals, but how could I do this at home? So that was my main goal and has been one of my main, um, I guess, focuses for as long as I can remember, is just to, how do I best support her at home with the resources, means, and whatever else that I have? 
That's really amazing that you were able to find resources in a world that really isn't built for people who need those resources. Do you feel like you personally, as someone who does have autism and ADHD, who's autistic with ADHD, do you feel like you like change the way you parent after your diagnosis or maybe that your diagnosis is before you got diagnosed affected the way you parented, like your parenting style or choices? Absolutely. I think my, um, if anything, having the diagnosis around it really helped me to understand why I was losing my temper so quickly and just some of the other things that I you know, finally came to realize it's like, oh, these are my coping strategies when I'm, and this is what my meltdowns look like. This is what this looks like versus my daughters, because even though we're both considered on the spectrum, she and I are, while we have some things absolutely in common, there are a lot of other things that just look completely different in the two of us. Um, but yeah, it was just a lot of that. It was like, okay, so now how do I manage not just the things that trigger her meltdowns or the things that trigger her sensory overload, but also mine? Because we were at times, I think, inadvertently setting each other off because she needed things one way, I needed them another. And once I finally, you know, came to realize it's like, oh, okay, that's why this is happening. I can at least learn how to manage it or at least start to manage and then I can adapt what I've learned to help her so yeah no it, it I think it helped a lot it's just in terms of like okay so this is why this is happening do you feel like it's made you more understanding of of her experience your diagnosis like Yes and no. Um, I say yes because, you know, like I just said, the way it presents in the two of us is almost completely different in so many ways. Um, I may, I can pass as a functional adult and she's likely going to need support for the, the rest of her life. Um, I have a pretty decent vocabulary. I can articulate most of the time she is non-speaking so that at least has helped me be a lot more mindful of the fact that i have access to so many other ways to communicate and i can express my thoughts i can express my feelings my frustrations whatever but for her it usually comes as an outburst or you know she can't find it in her communication device quick enough she just gets frustrated. So it's helped me be a lot more mindful of that and just a little more sympathetic towards some of the struggles that, that she has. Not that I wasn't before, but it just comes at a whole different level now. Yeah, that's completely understandable. You understand yourself better, so it's easier to like really, I, I can't articulate the word, but like really just feel like at not at peace with yourself, but like you feel, I feel like once I realized I was autistic, it was a lot easier for me to function as a person and realize, oh, mm -hmm. this is why, like you said, oh, yeah. it's like the, these are the reasons why. And so you're able to better support yourself. So you're able to better support her is kind of what I was trying to say. I think that's yeah. amazing. That's an amazing thing to realize about yourself and your experience. Yeah, no, it's, um, 
And it's funny because I just had a discussion with somebody about it was that one of the biggest keys for me throughout all of this was um, it is it's not just awareness, but it's acceptance because we can be aware about things and then just choose not to do anything. But until you accept it for what it is, you're not going to get anywhere. So that was one of the biggest shifts, at least for me. It was like, all right, I'm not broken. I'm not less than. It's just how my brain works. And there's nothing wrong with that. So that's just what it is. I think that's, like you said, that's very important, realizing that I'm not broken. I know yeah. a, a very common autism experience is like feeling like othered, even before your yep. diagnosis, even before you know, even have an inkling of what's going on. I remember I... I didn't know the word for autism and I was telling people I was from a different planet. I felt yeah. very othered by my peers. I felt othered by the people who were raising me and I felt othered just like in myself without knowing mm -hmm. what was going on. So I definitely feel like that I'm not broken is a big part of the acceptance for me personally and a lot of autistic individuals. Absolutely. And it was after um, I got my formal diagnoses done I had posted this like on my social media it was that it wasn't like a light bulb going off, but it was like the entire universe was being illuminated because I could look back on so many things and like, oh, okay, that makes perfect sense. I and, like, I like yeah. that metaphor. That metaphor is really the universe being illuminated. That's definitely how it feels. It feels very yeah. like everything, not, it doesn't feel like an answer to your problems, but it feels like something that makes your problems almost make more sense and more answerable. Yeah. yeah, you at least have a way to go look or at least, you know, some kind of path to start exploring. And, you know, for me anyway, there were times when it was just, it was, I absolutely hated it <laughs> because there were just so many things. It's like, oh, well, that really sucks. Um, but you know, again, it was just that whole like acceptance of it of, okay, does this suck? Absolutely. What can I do about it? And just also being able to accept the fact that sometimes I couldn't do anything about it or I couldn't change it and just making the best of it. But then there were other times it was just so enlightening to finally realize that's why I do what I do. And, you know, it's freeing. It's very freeing. Did you find in your journey of accepting that you were autistic, did you find any aspects of it more difficult to accept than any other aspects? I think mm, the, the biggest roadblock that I ran into was just that it took this long. Um, that was the biggest struggle for me to, um, as far as the whole acceptance piece, because I when I was 14 years old, I got diagnosed with um, clinical depression. And some years later, 2020 maybe, was 2020, um, my dad passed away. So I went into grief counseling. And I mentioned this to my grief counselor. And she said, like, oh, that's very unusual for a 14-year-old to get diagnosed with clinical depression. I was like, is it really? <laughs> So that was, I think, my biggest frustration was just that if I had gotten the correct diagnosis, 
when I was younger, maybe I wouldn't have struggled with something so much because I remember so vividly as a child and you know as a teenager, I excelled at like English and history and I was a couple of grade levels above English and history from elementary school onward. But I had to do remedial math and I struggled so much with math. I was like, why? Why is this? Why do I understand, you know, the English, the history, grammar, and all this other stuff, but math just gave me fits? And because my mom kept such meticulous records, I was able to see that I had what they just said labeled as a learning disorder. Okay, maybe it was dyscalculia. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. But if I had had that officially, why couldn't I have gotten the support that I needed then? You know, so that was my biggest frustration. That definitely resonates with me to the point where I kind of have the like chills whenever you hear someone that like just feels what you feel because I... As someone who I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder and a, a load of other things at probably <laughs> 10 or 11. Mm-hmm. And that's like, that's unfortunately not too uncommon in autistic individuals, but I felt mm-hmm. very like, that's not my answer. I felt like there's something else going on. I felt I, for a while, I thought it was because I was trans and I wasn't being like acknowledged as a guy. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. the more I went into my life, the more it felt very much like there's something else going on. And then I found out, oh my God, like autism is this thing that I've been, that's been around my whole life and I just haven't gotten the support I've needed yeah. for for it. And like for the way that my brain works, I haven't been receiving information the way that I need it. And it's mm-hmm. just that it it kind of hit me like a train at first, because like you yeah. said, it's really hard to accept. I could have gotten support so much earlier had I known or had someone else noticed. Had someone else, yeah, like picked yeah. up on the signs or something. And like you had just said, too, with autism and, and um, major depressive disorder, it's very similar for uh, anxiety and ADHD because so many of the traits and, you know, then there's the overlap with ADHD and autism, <laughs> which is a whole nother beast entirely but so many um individuals born female we get misdiagnosed as having oh it's just anxiety or it's just oppression or it's just this or it's just that and then kind of pushed aside it's like wait no there's something else going on why won't you take me seriously when I'm telling you and I think it's especially frustrating, you know, for younger kids because we don't give them the language that they need. So then they can't put it to words unless they're talking to a neurodivergent adult. And it's why with my my youngest daughter, she's nine. I talk to her openly about my anxiety. I've talked to her openly about when I've had, you know, some issues with the depression even with I'm having issues with like sensory things. I talked to her very openly about these things. And I always have. She, you know, she has told me, you know, sometimes she feels really anxious about it. And I ask her to explain. So she does. Or she'll tell me that she's getting overwhelmed with a touch or with a sound. And it's like, yeah, I totally get that. So I tell her, you know, like, 
this is what helps me. I don't know if it's going to help you, but just shot. And I think that's something that just needs to happen more is giving kids to the best of their ability, the language that we weren't given. And then you're taking them seriously, because I think that's the other problem is that adults just don't take them seriously. Like, oh, it's just, you know, you're just nervous. It's like, no, figure out why this kid is nervous. I got a lot of it's just normal teenage stuff or like it's just hormones or it's just this or just that. Yep. And I think the chalking it up to a normal teenage experience when you're saying, no, there's something wrong is definitely one of the ways we don't take kids and teenagers Absolutely. seriously. Just like blaming it. Because even if it is the hormones, like I feel it's important to acknowledge the feelings are there. And if someone says this is more than hormones, I know it to believe them. Like you said, to, yeah, like... to at least explore it, you know, it's, don't just brush it off as, oh, it's just hormones. Because here's the other thing too, as, as we know, hormones exacerbate these things and you know it makes it worse at least for that period of time and why wouldn't you take a teenager serious when they're telling you it's not it's more than ah, rant I could go on a rant about that though so <laughs> I most definitely could as well I feel like I've definitely been one of the people that have unfortunately had the teenage experience of not being taken seriously for the majority of my teenage life and the majority of my life in general like as a young person it's very difficult to be seen and I could also go on a rant so I feel like now is a good closing point for that topic but also yes. <laughs> there's so much to be said about that and there's so many conversations that can branch off of that that I think it's really important to be having as like a society but also as individuals that are neurodivergent absolutely and I think it just needs to be talked about more I mean does it make people uncomfortable of course it does it's supposed to but that doesn't mean we should stop talking about it that's definitely true you mentioned earlier that you've noticed some differences in the way that like femme born or femme presenting people are treated versus the way that men or masculine presenting people mm -hmm. are treated in diagnostic processes and being neurodivergent in general. Do you want to talk more on that? I obviously I can only speak to my own personal experience. Um, and then, you know, just through anecdotal conversations with fellow uh, female born, but it was this whole thing like, oh, it's just, you can't possibly have ADHD because ADHD is a boy's thing, or you can't possibly be autistic because autism is a boy's thing. And you can't be ADHD because you're not hyperactive like this little boy or, you know, just all those stereotypical kind of BS things that unfortunately continue to dominate society and at least Western society I, I can't speak for the rest of the world but it's just yeah it's those stereotypes and or just brushing someone off and saying that oh it's just you know anxiety or you're just again a teenager with a big hormonal drive or you're just this it's just that it's like no okay <laughs> look deeper and if you're not going to take me seriously, at least give me the resources to better help myself. Yeah. But. I feel like I have a very unique experience with that specifically, 
because I have a younger brother who is diagnosed with ADHD at age, I want to say six or seven. Mm -hmm. And I went my whole minor life being an 18 year old now, but like I went my whole life without being diagnosed with anything except for like depression and anxiety when saying, when trying to reach out and trying to say, this is more than that. Mm -hmm. I feel like people definitely do see you differently when you're femme born or femme presenting or just anything other than like the stereotypical little boy who likes trains and is nonverbal and has the little, um, like there are people that are autistic. Who lines all the things up. Yeah. Yeah. There are autistic people that fall under that stereotype, but it's also, Um, it's just that. It's the stereotype. It is what, it might be a textbook case, but textbook cases, like, it's not all a book. We're not all lines on a page. Absolutely not. Or, you know, I mean, you look at someone too, like Dr. Temple Grandin, who I have, you know, the utmost respect for, but you look at that or at her and people are like, oh, well, you know, what's the other stereotype? The other stereotypes, like almost the opposite end of, oh, you're, um, a savant or you're a genius in these things it's like look this is a curse okay um it's not the the blessing that you really think it is sometimes it's a curse because my long-term memory and my capacity to remember things and to store knowledge is great and I don't say this in a braggy way but it's great on the other hand the working memory piece you know the ability to recall my not working memory is okay too it's my short-term memory is crap and what agitates me about this um and I used to say it too but for female born in moms it's oh it's just mom brain or it's just this like no it is not (laughs) there's something wrong (laughs) with my brain which is why I can't remember something that I was just, I'll open up a tab on my browser and completely forget why I opened up the tab, even though I had the intention to go do something. And then I'm just sitting there like, why? Why brain? Why do we do this? I feel like society does have a habit of normalizing things that you know and just aren't normal for you. Like, mm-hmm. like you said, the mom brain with your short-term memory and someone just chalking it up to that or uh, the whole everyone's a little bit autistic thing that oh, people say. Oh, get me started on that. That, it, <laughs> it does more than ruffle my feathers. I'll say that much because I think it's, I think it's inherently harmful to normalize something that causes someone so much distress and you're taking away language from people that need the language to express this isn't normal for me and it just feels very I I like the idea of normalizing being autistic in the sense that you shouldn't like tell someone they're not autistic if they if they express to you that they are but also don't normalize it to the sense that you're like oh everyone's a little autistic that is not true right that just or everyone's a little bit neurodivergent like no 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 (laughs) if you feel that everyone is a little neurodivergent maybe you are neurodivergent and maybe you should get that checked out yeah yeah it's also and I don't the one thing I think kind of rubs me the wrong way too is the whole oh ADHD is my superpower autism is my superpower and there are times like okay maybe it is and then there are other times like no 
it's really not. It's my downfall and we are fighting today. So no. I think that's I think that's some people's version of the first steps of acceptance. But yeah. I do think yeah. that if that is your only way of accepting an autistic person as a non-autistic person or as a holistic or non-neurodivergent neurotypical person, I think if that's the only way you can accept neurodivergent people, that is an issue because yes. not I'm not always going to be the happiest that I can't wear certain things or I can't go to certain places or I have to wear these headphones whenever I go out in public. I'm not always going to have a smile on my face and be like openly stimmy and like I sometimes yeah. I have meltdowns where I like feel the need to like hit myself, turn off all the sensory things and like just I sometimes I just need to melt down. And if you don't respect a person at their meltdown, you don't respect them at their core of who they are because autism isn't all sunshine and rainbows but it isn't (laughs) it isn't like this curse like some people make it out to be like not curse it isn't like I don't know how to like a detriment it's not yeah yeah it's not that and it's not but like you just said it's not all sunshine and rainbows either and for me even something as simple as like going to a grocery store I have to mentally prepare myself and then I need to decompress afterwards because grocery stores are sensory hell yes (laughs) sensory hell the lights all the smells there's i i have a very unique relationship with food so for a while i enjoyed grocery stores because it gave me access to all of my safe foods even just to look Mm. at them even just to fantasize about them but the more I have consistent accent to access to what I actually need as a person the more I realize oh there's this that bothers me this sets me off this bothers me so what I thought was like okay I'm meeting my sensory needs was actually just like overloading myself and I it's so strange to me looking back at the things that I thought I enjoyed and realizing oh I just wanted to feel something and that something was overstimulation and I just because I was in such a dark point at one point in my life that I just needed anything. And what I thought was like a normal amount of feeling was overstimulation. And now what that might cause me to have a meltdown. Like the amount of stimulation I was putting myself through might now put me through more hell than what it was yeah. before. If that makes any sense. I don't know if that I articulated makes, that correctly. <laughs> no, that makes perfect sense. And, you know, and that is too, it's like a that whole, I don't know past awareness I I hate almost kind of hate the term the hindsight's 2020 thing because it for a while it just did not make sense but um but it is it's like that it's like looking back on so many things that you you did coping skills really and masking that you didn't realize you were doing because of you know this neurodivergence and then it's like oh well damn um that was unhealthy. What can I do about it now? Yeah, definitely. I feel like a lot of my masking tactics and a lot of like the ways I used to mask so heavily that I would mask when I was alone because I was afraid of like attention seeking because mm-hmm. a lot of what I was told as like a trans youth and like someone femborn youth was like, oh, everything you do is attention seeking. Don't seek attention, but also you need to seek the correct attention, but also this and that. And it would be mm-hmm. all of these contradictory rules. Mm-hmm. And so I would mask so heavily that I didn't even feel myself when I was alone. And I felt like this combination of traits, like not yeah. even like a full person. I felt like the combination of, I can't do this, but I have to do this, but I can't do this, but I have to do this. And uh-huh. it just became like this 24 seven, like 
mask like it was it was just so such heavy into the masking that it was so difficult for me to function even while alone and I think letting yourself unmask is such a vulnerable thing but it's also such an important thing absolutely absolutely and you know I think what people need to realize too masking it's not it's not a bad thing it's a survival skill and it comes a coping skill for I think so many of us because what I always thought was just like people watching tendencies. I was really just trying to learn, you know, oh, societal norms. And it's like, oh, this, or it's, oh, that. Like, oh, okay, cool. Now I understand why I did certain things. And I think just as important as recognizing what masking was or why we were doing it is learning how to unlearn it in some cases, because yeah, I had that same experience. Like I was always in my head, I think for a reason, because I was trying to escape the person that I had become or that I was trying to become or that I was, you know, that I had to be at that moment in time. I was always in my head, like daydreaming or just doing something else. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely developed a lot of maladaptive daydreaming because of the amount that I would mask. So I would be somewhere physically but mentally I would be I created this world for myself where I could be truly myself and it it's evolved with me over time I still have it it's where Mm -hmm. I go and I just exist somewhere else and for a while it was like Hogwarts and I (laughs) felt I felt like my special interests really fed into wherever I was and I would like go where I felt like I could be truly myself and that was always a special interest and yep it became an issue probably in middle school when I would be in math class trying my best to pay attention, but I wouldn't be in math class at all. And because math class had the lights and the sounds and then the people on their headphones and then the people on their phones and then all of these different stimuli that I just had to, had to blank face and then go back into my mind and just exist there. It really is a survival mechanism masking. It's the way that autistic people get through everything because there's so much that autistic people go through in the day-to-day that it's just almost unbearable for most of them yeah and that's just it too it's like look if I look normal normal by society standards right now it's because there's a whole lot of effort going in to maintaining this and what I think almost baffles me about it maybe not even baffles me but just still continues to profound maybe is just that the amount of effort that it takes to mask in certain situations even though you've gone into them so many times but it's the coming out of it piece that's just sometimes it's okay sometimes it's just like oh this really sucks (laughs) and i don't know I definitely understand what you mean. I feel like sometimes sometimes I can go through a whole day, no meltdowns, just masking, 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 and then I get home and all of a sudden I need to either I need I either need to let myself have a meltdown and like cope with that, or I need to like not do anything for the rest of the day and just exist within myself and try my best to unmask because it's difficult you would think that masking was the difficult part. Sometimes you get so heavy into masking and knowing what you need to do to be quote-unquote normal that you just you just don't know how to be yourself and let yourself be yeah exactly exactly which is frustrating because 
you're still, I think, aware of who you are as a person, but you can't get back to who you really are as a person because you've been pretending or not really pretending, but just tamping it down and not being yourself. And especially, and this goes, I think, back to the femme-born people is that, you know, girls are supposed to be quiet. We're supposed to be this. You're supposed to be, it's like, no. I am out. No, I have opinions. I'm going to express them. And no, I don't buy into that crap. Well, since we are just about out of the Zoom time, do you have any closing statements or any advice you have for people who are going through this neurodivergent journey? Maybe young people, maybe older, but any advice at all, closing statements? My best piece of advice is just to accept things as you can and enjoy it when you can and to also understand that yeah some days are going to be really good and then some days are just going to downright suck um you got to take the good with the bad and the sucky stuff isn't going to last forever it may seem like it in that moment but it's not going to last forever so do the best you can with what you have and what you know in that moment don't you know, make it from moment to moment. Don't think that you have to have it all together. Make it from moment to moment. That's definitely advice that, well, some people are sick of hearing it. I know I was. It definitely <laughs> does help once you're able to embrace yeah. it. Once you're able to really feel that, it helps so much. Yeah, I hated it too. It was like, oh, it is what it is. I'm like, I don't care if that is what it is. It, it shouldn't sucks be and that I don't way. like it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or the whole, you know, you're an adult. You should be able to do these things. I'm like, you're right. I am an adult and I should be able to do these things. But that doesn't mean I can. So that is <laughs> That is a valuable lesson to learn, especially about yourself and your experiences that while you quote unquote should be able to, you mm -hmm. can't and you need support. Well, thank you everyone for joining us. I hope you have a great day, night, afternoon, and I will see you in the next one.